I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast, whether you're listening on your walk in the gym on holiday, wherever it happens to be, really delighted to be back with you again today. Now today I'm chatting to Link Kroger and his passion for fighting social inequity led him to leverage his 35-year enterprise technology experience to create a creative solution to help level the playing field while also delivering technology solutions for the world's most important causes. Now, Link has served on the Technology Association of Iowa board for three years. He was assigned by Governor Kim Reynolds to her Empower Rural Iowa Task Force. Link has also been recognized as the top national rural influencer by the Ruralist and was the USDA Rural Prosperity Tour keynote speaker. Now, Link is here to talk about nightmoves.org. At Nightmoves, they empower Native American, rural and urban underserved communities and employ them to break through the barriers blocking social economic inclusion. Their teams are passionate about solving the big, hard-to-talk-about issues, or better yet, about improving solutions already in motion that just need a little bit more ingenuity to get them across the finishing line. They bring affordable tech talent to help address bigger issues. No issue is too big and every issue matters. Their team looks at how they can help with poverty, human trafficking, homelessness, food insecurity and a whole lot more. And Link takes us through exactly how they talk to young people, how they serve the community and bring everybody together. So I really hope you enjoy this. This is my conversation with Link Kroger about nightmoves.org. Hi, Link. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Let's start off, first of all, by giving a brief description in terms of what Nightmoves actually is and, and, and how long you've been involved in it. Hey, Mark. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on. So Nightmoves is about a two-year-old organization. And it actually started as a nonprofit um, off of uh, an initiative from my last company. Um, but it morphed this year into a social benefiting or limiting profit company um, with the exact same mission. And the reason we converted from a nonprofit to a limiting profit model is basically for us to really make the innovative impact we need to do. Um, my attorney kept telling me, hey, you can't do that as a nonprofit. So I said, well, fine. You know, we can do this as a social benefiting company. And if we make a dollar a year, we meet the criteria of a company. So and I, I really and I don't you have to tell me like in the UK, but in the US, the social benefiting model is just really starting, just starting to get steam um, from a perspective of, you know, creating a company with a primary purpose that helps society. And it's really not about making money. But um, I don't know if you've seen much in this area yourself. A little bit. And, and I think, I think you like to say, it's very easy when you've got a great vision for something that you're doing to help people, you, you, you need the vehicle that's going to give you the most flexibility and able to sort of, of make that happen, don't you? And if you sort of feel like you're sort of hand tied a little bit because it has to work in a certain way or there are certain regulations, then it makes sense to use those sorts of models, which are becoming more and more, more, more prevalent. Tell me how a little bit of, of, of that sort of technology background that you're in and, and why this became such an important factor for you? 
Yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of old. I hate to say that, but you know, it happens to all of us. But you know, after 35 years in the technology industry, working for Fortune 500, working for you know commercial software, Seattle-based company, um, Department of Defense, consulting. Um, you know, I watched companies in their diversity inclusion program being really, really unsuccessful, right? I mean, most diversity inclusion programs and companies end up just, how do you end up moving the talent between companies and not actually creating diversity and inclusion, right? They, they you know, the, the business world kind of counts on the college system to create the amount of entry-level talent and diverse talent they need. Um, although, you know, you do see a, a slight increase in like apprenticeship programs, which are designed more for, you know, the left behind or underserved or at-risk populations. Um, but, you know, I, in my last company, it was a consulting company, and I was fortunate that it was uh, small. It was about a $55 million company, and I was the COO, so I had a lot of latitude. And I was like, you know, our primary, you know, us selling technology consulting services, our primary competitors offshore, right, like India primarily. I was like, you know, there's no reason we couldn't be doing the exact work we're doing in rural towns or, let's say, and, you know, just anywhere, right? And so... But the problem is those areas don't have an education structure. Um, they don't have a, any structure really to support this. So um, we opened a uh, technology innovation center in a little town of 4,000 people. And uh, that really, really burst the, uh, the initiative. And this big giant company came along and bought us and weren't interested in expanding a program. So I flipped it off uh, from that company and created its own thing with Night Moves, which is really basically... Uh, focused on rural Native American and urban populations, urban underserved, like inner city urban. And we are extraordinarily good at getting young uh, people interested in a career in technology and then providing a full training pathway that by the time they're done, they're actually better prepared than a four-year computer science degree. And then we bring to the job to them. And then by the end of our whole program, they, they start their end job. They have no debt. And they're making in the U.S. better than sixty thousand a year is probably a twenty-year-old. So it's a it's a heck of a deal for people. So how do you get that initial conversation going? Is it a question of sort of doing that entire picture that you just described there, or, or how does those conversations start, and, and how do you get that interest and that momentum with each individual person? Yeah, so we'll um, we'll partner with specific communities, and part of that is we look for communities that let us actually come talk to the students. Because um, again, our primary demographic is going to be high school age, eighth through eleventh graders, and you know all we ask for is thirty minutes of time with groups of fifteen to twenty-five students at a time to let them share the vision of this. And we um, we have fine-tuned this over the last uh, four years, um, and because uh, you know young people don't care about what old people care about, so we had to really we had to really tailor the message to what they care about. And we actually start off because one of the functions of night moves, and it's night like a chess piece, not like the Bob Seger song, um, is uh, one of the functions we do is our primary training approach is we're not classroom-based, we're not uh, grade-based, right? We are, you join a team of seven to 12 people, and you actually build real-world solutions, technology platforms, um, and building the technology the same way, the same Microsoft or Google or pick your pick your high-tech company and how they actually build technology that we build it, whether it's security or scalability or maintainability, it's, it's all of those aspects. But what they're focused on while they're building the software is focused on solving problems that are public benefiting. So 
think of whether it's how do you end homelessness, uh, poverty, drug addiction, eliminating sex trafficking, right? Think of um, focus, focusing on creating innovations and technology platforms that are serving society. And what happens is we'll actually share with the students, hey, this is who we are. We're the Silicon Valley of creating social benefiting technology solutions. And they go, wow, that's amazing. Somebody actually cares and is doing something and not just trying to get rich. And then we say, well, why don't you join us and be part of it? And they say, well, we don't know anything about technology. And we go, okay, well, next semester, take this class and see if you like it. And they go, geez. So we'll get 30 to 40% of all students we talk to to say, I'll actually sign up for a software development course. And if you're familiar with most like four-year college outreaches to high school students, they might get one to 2% of a hit, right, to get kids. In the Native American community, we're actually seeing almost 60% of every kid we talk to, every student in high school saying, wow, that's really interesting to me. But realize too, with Native Americans, it's a, it's a, it's a very different environment because Native Americans, for the most part, live out like way out in the boonies in in U.S. Right? They, you know, were specifically in the past, right, moved away from the commerce and in, in center. So there's just not opportunity unless you want to work at a casino or gas station, right, or do arts, like you know, sell the crafts of Native Americans. There's not a lot of opportunities. So um, Native Americans love this program because we bring the training to them and then we bring the job to them. And I think one of the really important things there, and, and I've had this a lot speaking to young people as well, it's that kind of, well, we're just teenagers. We just do what we do. We don't have these conversations. We don't have these thoughts about <laughs> anything. But I think what you said, which was really, really key, is the fact that we're going to show you what we do, which immediately, like I say, piques that interest of kind of, oh, well, that's something that we... Even if we say we haven't thought about it, actually we have. It's it's on our radar. It's something that we are sort of part of our sort of environment and my friend environment. But also, like I say, but then having that next step. And then also, I guess it's that dialogue, isn't it? Because like I say, that amount of people and and the kind of buy-in that you've got, it becomes a almost like a team exploration from, from the get-go rather than it just kind of, we're coming to give you a presentation and please sort of tick the box on your way out. Yeah, and you know, the other thing we do, Mark, is we... Uh... We don't try to, there's, there's a big push to career pathways now, which, you know, I'm a fan of, but the, the, what our perspective is, you know, it's like when people get to college, there's a lot of people that change their majors because your imagination is one thing of what you think it's going to be. But as soon as you experience something, you go, oh, that's not, I don't really like that, or I do like it. So our, our real perspective is do something that's valuable, that helps the world, but do discoveries, right? Don't make a decision that you're going to be a career technologist. Just take one course. And guess what? If you become a doctor or an architect or a plumber, you still will have had one software development course if you decided you didn't like it. And no matter what you do, technology plays a role in every job and you'll be ahead of the competition. So, you know, you just break down the, the information to be, well, that's just true, right? I don't want to decide what I'm going to be. Let me just take one course, see if I like it. If I do, I can keep going. If I don't, I just go another direction, right? So keeping it simple for young people, not making them lock into lifetime decisions when they're 15 years old. Yeah, those sort of bite-sized ideas, like saying, and and just taking one step at a time, and it can, like say, you can go in any any direction there, and and however that path, that path develops. And so I'm interested in terms of, of what the sort of the dynamic is and the conversations that you have amongst the, amongst the communities that you like say you're sort of supporting and building and and sort of creating a sort of thriving economy for. What sort of, what sort of changes have you seen? What sort of conversations are you hearing in terms of that sort of breadth and that sort of development? 
Well, communities um, get really excited about this program because we're not just like this online program that's a, you know, online, we're not a boot camp or a code camp. Um, we're a fully immersive experience, but we partner with specific communities that are good matches for us. And if you go to our website, nightmoves.org, if anybody's interested, you can look and we show here's what we look for in a community that's a good match for us. And our end goal with this is every year after the engine's fired up, creating 15 to 25 of these high paying jobs every year where people can stay where they live. And if you think about even on the inner city side, if uh, you know you look at big cities, you know generally we run into gentrification, right? When we try to revitalize a, a distressed area of a, of a bigger city because we end up putting money into those areas restoring and driving the people out that live there because it becomes too expensive to live. Whereas our perspective is let's go operate in those communities and let's up, uplift the people in them and get them to right uplift that community, but doing it with the people that are in those inner city neighborhoods. And I think what I find most exciting about it is the fact that, like you say, it's not that you're going to be producing this particular technology or it doesn't have to look like X or Y, um, which, which I think gives people a little, a little bit more kind of breadth and, and terms of, in terms of time and understanding as opposed to, you know, this community is successful because it has coal or this, this is successful because we're now building, you know, um, engines for cars which we know is is fine while it's all there but then of course that can change very quickly or policy can change or whatever whereas this is this is much more about you know we, there's going to be an infrastructure here but also it can morph it, you're going to have the skills which are going to help you develop wherever life starts to change going forward rather than this is a sort of a limited time and, and we're not quite sure after that yeah and you know you touched on like auto industry or manufacturing you know um coal you know, we actually, if we're working with a coal community or a whatever community it is, it already has a presence there. We want to focus on that because, you you know, you look at like West Virginia, right? There's there's multi-generations of family who've been in the coal industry, but it's not, I don't, I, my prediction is it's not going to be real long before the substances that are in coal are actually more valuable to extract them and use them for all of the innovations that are happening with the, with the substances that are in them. It's going to be more valuable than burning the coal. So why not take those people that have been part of multi-generations of it and convert them and uplift them and get them the education they need to be technologists in that same industry and, you know, stick with something that's been multi-generational and, and add to it, but just in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, and like I said, that's perfect, isn't it? Like I say, that's a slight, slightly change, change of path, but using the skill factors there. So... Um, take us a little bit. You sort of mentioned the sort of the, the companies from before and how Night Moves is now in sort of these last few years. Take us through sort of the journey in terms of of the um, the rural um, task force and, and some of the work that you've done with governors, just to sort of sort of give us a perspective on on that part of the journey as well. Yeah, well, you know, I live in Iowa, and Iowa is a very rural state, um, and um, the uh, and Iowa is doing pretty pretty darn well with um, ensuring that the prosperity is shared and included in rural communities. Now, there's some that are uh, struggling more than others, but the Empower Rural Iowa Task Force that Governor Reynolds created in Iowa was to bring leaders from across the state, right? So every inch of the state area, right? When I say inch, I mean, you know, area has people that are advocates and coming in and innovating and um, um and coming up with strategies on whether it's economic development, um, housing. So housing, childcare are always two really big ones, right? Because if you don't have housing, 
you can't have a workforce, right? You don't have childcare. So, uh, you know, broadband is a big one and education is another one. But what our task force responsibility is, is saying, how are we continually making every community in our state a, a better place to live and coming up with strategies that, you know, whether it's, hey, how do you, maybe you have a developer because you have a rural community that w could only afford to build five houses, right? And that's really expensive if you build five houses versus if you make an order for 200 houses. So what if we did an order for 200, but then we let, you know, 50 communities buy up to two of those and get, a, a, a you know, just do that bulk purchasing. So ideas um, or ideas in any direction and then executing those plans to implement those ideas um, across the state. And it's in, it's interesting that, and I think from an, an education point of view, I think that that flexibility that you have there, that's all business acumen in terms of knowing how these things work and having a plan, like I say, in each of these different areas to support everybody. I think that with, like you say, the the idea of being able to, how you approach getting um, young people involved in what you're doing and all of that, I think that mind shift, I think from a modeling point of view, you know, when, when young people see that sort of thing happen, when they start to understand that this is what's going on by the people that are implementing these things or have, um, who have um, influence in, in these sorts of um, um, task forces or kind of groups of people that are kind of helping shift in, and give some kind of um, vision for the future, I, I, th I think that becomes a, an empowerment all on its own in many ways. Yeah, in fact, to, to plus one on that, you know, when I'm meeting with a, a set of community leaders in a, in a really any community, but um, I'll say, well, okay, let's look at your demographic of your community leadership that's in this room. There might be 5, 10, 15 people there, probably all above 50, maybe a couple in their 30s or 40s. And I'm like, well, you know, if you really want to be inclusive here and get ideas, you need to get a couple people that are, you know, 18 to 25 on this board. And you may not like their ideas. Uh, but they're going to give you where they're at, right? Because most, especially in rural, most of the investment the community makes goes more into children, like pools, you know, swimming, um, childcare. And there's not a lot that goes into investment for people that are 18 to 30 year old to keep them there, right? Because in rural, when people graduate high school, they generally leave and come back you know, on Christmas to visit family. And um, so how do you start getting ideas that, you know, from all your different uh, diversity of people groups that live there and age groups is, uh, and, and, you know, they just hadn't thought about it. I go, even if they're not on your board, if you could just do some focus groups, right, of getting the young people in and say, hey, where do you think this community should be going? What, what are some key ideas? And those people have great ideas, by the way. And um, it really opens the eyes of the, of those, that community leadership group. Yeah, and I guess from those conversations, like you say, you can start to create those things, which are sort of hopefully sort of give them a community and a sense of wanting to stay and I'm, I'm curious from a sort of a, a sort of a UK standpoint because in my experience you often hear like you say that kind of if you leave school and you go to the big city whether that's New York or LA or wherever it happens to be but from, from a real sort of practical sense you know you just said that's the kind of mindset and what often happens but how far do people go you know how big does the city need to be or, or the or the state in order for that people will then go to it and and what is it that how big or, or how much of a structure do you need to have to keep people at home? Well, you know, as long as they have broadband to the town and most in, in the United States, most um, most small towns have fiber, at least to Main Street. Right now, your exception would be your mountain states like eastern the state of Washington or West Virginia, because mountains make um, running broadband and fiber and cable really difficult. Right. But um, if you get outside of those areas, you you're at least Main Street areas areas 
will will have fiber to it, which is pretty shocking, right? So what we'll do is work with the community, and um, the, one of the one of the priorities for that community is they actually have like a co-working space on their local. I mean, you know, and you have to look at two of these little towns. They might only have 20 to 50 total businesses like in their main street area, right? Because it's a town square kind of thing. But to get one of those and there's empty retail, you know, spaces in every um, rural community, right? I mean, in, in the U.S., rural communities love Walmart. They love Dollar General. They love Amazon. But rural main street retail does not, right? Because it's it just takes their business away. So you have a lot of these spaces. Well, let's take one of those and turn it into a co-working space. Now, if people can get internet at home, that's great, but that, that's a bigger problem in rural, right? Is getting it high speed to the residences. Um, but also young people want to work around each other, right? They want to be with each other. So having that local high-tech, you know, co-working space is important in rural. Not not quite as important in urban because generally there's pretty high already existing high-tech, you know, co-working spaces. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on something really important there as well about that kind of working together and co-working and that kind of thing. I think certainly one of the things the pandemic's brought up is the fact that, yes, we can, even if we do have the, the broadband speeds and the ability to connect online, that's fantastic. But by the same token, actually, that kind of human to human connection, the, the ability to hang out. And I, and I think, like you were saying before, some of the conversations, some of the ideas, some of the developments that you can do when you're just with somebody in that slightly more downtime or more social situation, that's when some great ideas happen. And, and I think that sense of belonging, which is what we're talking about in terms of wanting to stay around and actually be working together and developing something for the greater good. Yeah. And, you know, community leaders are really surprised, Mark, that their youth want to stay because there's this belief that there's nothing we can do to keep our youth. And it's really opportunity, right? Um, but for example, I was working with this community and um, I asked the community leaders, hey, can we get a focus group of a small number of your graduating high school students that are leaving your community? And let's just talk to them and learn why. And so they had five students. They were, they were all seniors in high school and they were graduating and they all five said, we're leaving our hometown to do something else. So presented the night moves opportunity to them and said, after they, after they saw the opportunity, I said, okay, here's two questions for you. One is, is this good for your community? And, and if you had this opportunity, would have you taken it? And second is how many people, if you did this, take, take this opportunity, you would have actually stayed in your hometown after completing the training and getting the job placement, because we don't require anyone to stay, right? If they go through the whole thing, decide they still want to move to an urban area, it's, it's creating options for people, not constraints. And what blew that set of community leaders away is all five of the students said, this would be great for the community. I wish we had this opportunity. And if I would have had it, I would have actually stayed and I wouldn't be considering relocated. I would love to stay here. There's just nothing for me to do. And you'd see these adults like almost falling out of their chairs going, I had no idea our top students really want to stay here. It's just, that's the way we've always, that's the culture, right? In these communities is you go to high school, it's a conveyor belt, right? You graduate. And then you move to an urban center and come back on holidays. And maybe in your 30s, you come back because you're raising your own kids and you love that small town experience you had growing up. And you want to give, and especially now in, you know, in the COVID era is with work from anywhere in tech, that's still a phenomenon happening, right? It's people moving and relocating to rural communities. 
And I guess that's where Night Moves really sort of comes into its own because you're not having to reinvent the wheel each time. It's kind of, we're doing this here and it could be here and we've got this research and we've got these stories and we can show you the the, the experiences of the students that are, are sort of working with us. And, and, and so it kind of gives you that kind of look here's the tapestry we can see exactly how it's going to work and so those conversations must sort of snowball much faster yeah and you know and think about the employers in this too is if you were an employer would you rather hire somebody that just finished their education or who proved they could actually do the job and people students only graduate our program when they demonstrate they can do every aspect of the job if you came through our program mark you don't get a test you have to show you can do the work over a six month and it really takes you about three years to get through the whole system. Ideally, you're starting your junior year in high school. And then by the time you're done, you'll have had about three years of experience in computer science. So when you go to bid, you've built these scalable, highly secure solutions that are real world solutions. So employers look and they go, well, geez, I can hire this person who went to school and studied and you know did their books, or I can hire a person who's actually done the job, right? And employers have actually told us, Hiring our graduate will save them twenty-five dollars to $35,000 in startup costs for orientation and training over hiring a four-year computer science degree graduate, right? Because literally one of, our, one of our graduates shows up at an employer, they say, well, point me to your source code. Where's this? Where's that? And they're coding the first week as part of a, you know, a, an enterprise development team, which is really unheard of, right, from even a college graduate in computer science. So you sort of mentioned there in, in terms of that study take us through sort of the the student experience so you, you mentioned going in having these conversations with it within a school or and that sort of situation how does that practically work in terms of their sort of day-to-day -day or per semester or that sort of thing in, from sort of start to finish yeah and, and so we we look to complement the existing system that's in and not disrupt it um meaning in the united states in almost every every community in the country, there's some community college that represents them, right? So community college in the US, it's post high school education. Um, um, usually, well, I'll just answer the question there and not go off on a tangent, which I can do pretty easily. So wrote me back in, Mark, <laughs> is because uh, there's so many details of this, but, but basically, Mark, we'd speak with you. Um, and in the United States, in most states, your junior and senior year in high school, you can take community college dual enrollment college credit courses for no charge to you. Um, there's some exceptions to states on that, but most states support it. So we work within that system and we try to uh, partner with communities who already have a community college who teaches the computer science courses that, that we need. There's seven computer science courses you need to complete. And, you know, most of these schools, you could take, you know, two your junior year, two your senior year, and it's just one, one class on your schedule, right? And so you can knock out four and then you can decide to take more if it is for you. Um, now, our, our biggest challenge with the program is most community colleges right now since COVID cannot get access to instructors to teach. So um, our backup plan is we actually have a very innovative approach ourselves where we can provide those courses. If there's not a community college, you can do it. Um, but the easy button is when we have that community college, you can do it. So Mark, you're starting your junior year. You take your first course, your, your, uh, your first semester. You go, wow, I didn't like it. Don't take any more. I did like it. Take another one. Now your senior year, you can load up and take one or two courses a semester. And um, before you know it, like maybe a semester out of high school, you're done with all your prerequisites and you can come to our program. And then our program is a minimum of six months. Um, kind of like think of a real world capstone project that you do as a team. Um, 
And then you go from that to being a Night Moves employee where you were, <clears throat> excuse me, you were focused on creating solutions for public benefiting and nonprofits. And now you're doing work for six months as an intern for us, doing work for real companies, right? That are your, your as a billable consultant. And what we do with that money is you'll get some money, but not a lot, but we take the money we do make off of you and pay off your education because that our education costs around $20,000 a person. And what we do is if you meet our criteria, Mark, you don't have to pay for this up front. In fact, if you don't get the job at the end, you don't pay for it. So it's a guaranteed job. So you have really nothing to lose. And it and so imagine that, right? You start your your end career with zero debt and starting ahead of a where a four-year computer science graduate would be in preparation of actually being able to deploy your skills in a workforce. And and I think that's a conversation which I think is more and more prevalent in so many households now in terms of what was deemed to be the the traditional route you know i need to go to this college i need to study in this way um people are thinking hang on a minute this is this is having a bigger effect on me for the next 10 15 20 25 years or all, all, all the way through your career and so there were people are already looking around and so i think this comes in in sort of really great timing in terms of not only can the actual study part of it be different like say your way into work is different the the whole way that it's going to be funded is going to be different but almost going full circles, like we said before, the modeling and the actual example of how life can change with that different way of thinking and actually having things set up differently. I, I think that kind of opening up of, of what's possible is, is probably going to be where the solutions that we have in the in the current climate are going to be really, really important. So you, you mentioned there in terms of um, um, community colleges and of course therefore you've got teachers and, and people involved in there is there is there something about a teacher that you remember from being when you were younger or a school experience which is sort of sticks in your mind and I don't know if it has some kind of sort of importance in terms of how you wanted to sort of take that education experience that you've now developed well I can say that my freshman year in high school which is ninth grade is um I was really struggling academically and um I had a, a algebra instructor, Mr. Trillinger, and uh, I got my report card my first semester and he gave me a B minus and I made the honor roll. And if he would have gave me what I deserved, a C plus, I would have not made the honor roll. So I went to Mr. Trillinger and I said, hey, you know, I only had a 78% in your class. Why'd you give me a B minus? And he goes, well, the quarter doesn't count as permanent. The semester does. And you're, you're not a C student. You're better than a C student. And you needed to know that. Um, but I tell you this, whatever you're at at the semester is what your final grade is going to be. And um, I never struggled in school again. I just, you know, by the time I was a senior, I was taking every advanced class they could teach um, that I could take and getting a 4.0 GPA, you know, all A's. Um, so I went from my freshman year of just struggling to, um, you know, to even get, you know, a, a B average to um, just excelling. And it was all on that one person saying, you're not a C student. You can get A's in this if you want to, right? If you chose to. And I just didn't have that confidence. And hearing somebody say that, uh, it changed my paradigm. So um, he's passed on now, Mr. Trillinger, but he's uh, still impacting my life all this time later. 
Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting when you sort of have it come at you, isn't it, from an external source? Because it might even be that you believe you are, but if you're not actually getting those grades, you, there's that sort of double-edged sword of kind of, I wish I was, I thought I was, but it's not actually coming to fruition. Um, and, and and I think it links beautifully back in, into Night Moves in terms of that sense of, you know, we're telling you this the, the world is slightly different than maybe you perceive it is. You know, what you thought your future was could look slightly different. And, you know, and we can show you the way and there's a path and we can support you with that. And I, I love the way those sorts of two things sort of tie in together is there a great piece of advice that you've been given um that you'd like to share or this might also be maybe some advice you give your younger self now looking back and of which i often caveat as we sort of alluded to earlier in the show that teenagers or young people don't necessarily want to take on that kind of advice that they're given or what they've been shown you know and, and you know when you're a kid growing up everybody says how much you grew right oh my gosh you grew so much when you're a kid you don't feel that way but everybody's telling you that um, that, you know, you do, I wake up, I'm 54 years old. And, you know, if I, if I look at the things that I'm just happy with, with my life, it's right. It's where I followed my, my passions. It's, I applied myself. I did, I did, um, I followed meaning and where I was unhappy is when I just drove to make money, to get ahead, to climb the ladder. Um, there's, there's no, there's no good in that, in my life of what I did. Right. And then, you know, balancing your health with that, because if you get so driven to succeed, um, I, I think you destroy your life. So my advice would be, you know, working for a big company and being grand poopaw of something in that title, if that's your goal, you know, great, but you're going to have a much better life if you focus on really doing what you love, solving the problems you love to solve and um, not, not worry about getting rich or making lots of money or how you look in other people's eyes. Just really meet those people, get those love relationships, um, take care of yourself physically, and um, don't don't have a goal of climbing the corporate ladder. But you know what? You'll probably climb the corporate ladder faster, and you'll be much healthier when you get there if, if you follow that approach. Absolutely. I, I love that. And it's that kind of letting go to succeed, isn't it? it, it like you say, there's something about the giving, which means that you receive. There's something about just letting go, which allows the sort of the stars to align, as it were, to give you what you want. But like I say, your focus is exactly as you so um, perfectly put just means that everything just kind of fits in i think into a kind of a human kind of rhythm which is which is supportive from from both sides of that of that coin now we know resources are really important for so many people and this can be professional or or personal but is there a podcast a video a book a film or, or anything which has has had an impact on your life and, and why was that you know i'd say probably the biggest impact to me was uh, i don't know if you've ever seen the movie schindler's list mm-hmm. and at the very end of it um, when um, Schindler's looking at, it's the end of the war, right? And he's, he's looking at just these little, how much he could have impacted people. You know, if he wasn't so selfish and focused on himself, right? Um, and, and I think for me, when I saw that, I was like, dang, you know, I, I'm not, it's not about regret and guilt. That, that's a great perspective to see at the end of your life, right? Is what could have you done to help people? So that movie's absolutely the most profoundly impacting movie I've ever watched in my life. And that, that especially that, that final scene where he's, he's looking through what kind of prioritization decisions that I make in my life, where did I put meaning and value? And I think when you have that perspective and, and that knowledge, especially early on in your life as well, then that, that gives you that momentum and, and that ability to, like I say, put that best foot forward and make those decisions in a way that's going to be so impactful for, um, for people around you, which um, yeah, is exactly what you're doing with the way that you, you, you set yourself up there. Um, and, and just finally, 
the acronym FIRE is obviously important to us here at Education on Fire. And by that, I mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. What's one of those things that strikes you as sort of an immediate thought, which, which is, which is important? For me, it's, it's feedback loops. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, I'm a big uh, PPK believer. I don't know if you're from like the lean startup, but pivot, persevere, or kill. So you have an idea, you move in a direction. If it's a great one, you persevere, you keep going. Yeah. You know what? There's something here, but it's not quite right. You pivot or if it's just a bad idea, you kill it. Right. But the whole basis is don't just sit on your butt and wait, go do something, do something of value and then take the feedback from that and iterate again and do something of more value. So if I just have that feedback loop of take a step, do something valuable, see how it worked. Right. I wish I was smart enough to just do a big giant blueprint of solutions that would just work when you're done. I haven't found that I'm that smart in life. I've got to incrementally just do something feedback, right. And PPK. So for me, it's the feedback one for sure. Yeah. I love that. And, um, and, and I love the way that so many of the things that you've spoken about today all ties in and, and, and makes perfect sense in terms of, of why night moves is so important how it's come about and, and and the great work that it's doing so link thank you so much for being here and sharing that story and i wish you um the very best with it as a as a, as a forward thinking but i think such a supportive thing for so many young people thank you so much for having me on mark it was, it was really my pleasure thank you thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community with over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.